No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules. And at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome back to another edition of Banal of America, the revival, all new episodes of BOA. And uh, tonight's guest is a, is a friend of mine. It's someone uh, who I've had the pleasure of knowing for several years now. And I always said to her, I, I think I've said to her multiple times, I've hung out with her, uh, I've talked to her on the phone for stories for Coast to Coast, and I'm always like, when I get that podcast going again, you're like on the short list of people uh, who I want to get on BOA. And so here we are, the, the Banal of America revival is underway, and as soon as I, as soon as I knew I was going to do this, for real, um, I was like, I got I to gotta talk to Katie Elizabeth. So our guest tonight is Katie Elizabeth. You can find out more about her at katieelizabeth.org or over on Facebook under Champ Search and International Dracontology Alliance. And that's Dracontology, D-R-A-C-O-N-T-O-L-O-G-Y. And if you're any, if you're at all familiar with the world of cryptozoology, specifically the the lake monster genre, uh, then you know who Katie Elizabeth is. Um, I have just... A, a world of respect for Katie and, and what she does. Katie is, I, I'll go ahead and say it. She's the foremost Lake Champlain monster, AKA champ or champy um, researcher. She's, she is, she's the best. She's the top researcher out there looking at this uh, creature. And it's not, she is so hands-on folks. You're not going to believe this as we get into this conversation tonight. Um, she has uh, a boat. She's got a submersible thing, uh, like a uh, she'll. I'm, I'm probably butchered, like some kind of underwater RV thing that, that looks around and stuff. She's out on Lake Champlain uh, constantly, um, and and that's that's why I really have such a huge amount of respect for her because she puts her money where her mouth is. She is she's legitimately searching for the Lake Champlain monster. She is actually out on Lake Champlain looking. For this creature, um, and Katie and I, we kind of we, we cut from a similar claw. We really don't suffer fools either. That's the other part about what I like about Katie. She tells it like it is. Um, you know, she doesn't sugarcoat it, and she's willing to call bullshit when she sees it. So um, that's why I'm a big fan as well. So it's a long overdue to get you on the program. Welcome uh, to Banal of America, Katie. It's my great pleasure to finally get a chance to talk to you here in this extended format that is BOA. Thank you so much for having me on, Tim. I'm, I'm extremely honored, and uh, I really appreciate the kind words. I really do. Um, I do work very hard at this endeavor, and uh, it's it's been quite the adventure. I'll just put it that way in short terms, but we'll get talking about that later, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, hats off to you. The amount of work you do actually searching for this creature is is amazing and there's so many armchair people that don't, <laughs> that just hang out on facebook 
that don't do anything to kind of just opine about these things. It's like, look, man, Katie's out there on the fucking boat. Like what? Like that's I'll listen to Katie before uh, I'm, I'm, you know, some of these armchair opinions. It's kind of crazy to me uh, that that uh, that you see that so often. But let's let's talk a little bit first about the bio, the background. Who is Katie Elizabeth? Um you know, sort of take us right up to, you know, give us your background, obviously, and sort of take us up to when you decided that you were going to start looking for this, this creature. How did, how did you find out about it? Um, and then how did you go? Because there's lots of people that know about it, but it's like, how did you decide that this was going to be your, your pursuit? It started a really long time ago. I'm 38 now. I was seven. And I was watching Unsolved Mysteries, and there was the episode that featured the Sandra Mancy photo that was snapped in 1977. And I was just so freaking fascinated at this photo. I was like, oh, my God. I, I yelled to my mom, Mom, look at this. There's a dinosaur in, in this lake, and it's up in near, you know, Vermont, New York. And she's like, oh, my God, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> so she she was just looking at me like I was completely nuts, and I – you know, throughout the years, I've had people look at me like that anyway. So, you know, I got I got thick skin. Um, I did back then even. Uh, so I just kind of smile. I'm like, Mom, I really want to go there. And so we pulled out the old Rand McNally map before GPS. And uh, my mom's like, oh, it's about five hours away. I'm like, can we go? And I mean, honestly, my, if my mom hears this, I'm sure she'll listen to it at some point because she's always on YouTube watching my video stuff. And <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna kick me in the ass, but <laughs> but she, you know she never really took me to a ton of places. I mean, we go to Massachusetts, we go to Connecticut, uh, we didn't even go to Maine. I mean, like we didn't go. I never went that far as a kid to travel. Now let me let me just stop you. Where did you? Because I was under the impression that you that you grew up around Lake Champlain. So where 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 did you grow up? I grew up in Rhode Island. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yep. Yeah. And. Uh, I, the ocean state. And so my dad was a fisherman for years. He had his own boat and went out getting lot, you know, putting out lobster pots and eel pots. And he did a lot of clamming as well. Call hogs, <laughs> getting nice, all that nice. stuff. And so, um, I guess the, the, the ocean was always instilled in me no matter what. I mean, going back in my ancient background, there's a lot of Viking and, and Balkan and, and all that stuff. So it's, it's really interesting how your roots do follow you. Um, yeah, it is interesting. Some, some of the Celtic stuff as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's how I got into it at first. I mean, I, of course, I started as an armchair thinking I was just a kid. So I went to my local library at my school and I said, hey, do you have any books on Champ, the Lake Champlain? They're like, what? The librarian looked at me again like I was crazy. And I said, yeah, our own Loch Ness Monster. And she's like, well, we got Loch Ness Monster books and we do have one book on Champ, which was Chant Beyond the Legend by Joseph Zarzinski, who was an investigator years ago. Um, so, yeah, I took that book out. I read all I could on, on Champ, on Nessie, on Ogopogo. Uh, those were the three top, the top three late creatures that you heard of at that time. Uh-huh. Mind you, this was, oh, God, how old? Uh, seven, so 1992. So yeah. at that time, that those were the main books that were out there in the library. So that's how I got started, and I would watch every documentary there was. I'd watch Robert Rines with the Academy of Applied Sciences. I, I watched Steve Feltham that still you know, stays vigil at Loch Ness. Mm-hmm. I watched everything I could on and all, all of the research that was being done over the years. And I said one day, and this is in my, my book, Water Horse of Lake Champlain, The Search, 
uh, in one of the chapters. And I said, I'm looking up at the sky one night and I was sitting there and I made this wish and this star, a shooting star went across the sky. And it, it is, and this is the truth. And this is what I have in my book. I made a wish that night that one day I want to do what they're doing, what, what Robert Rines was doing. And also Tim Dinsdale was a huge, huge investigator that I really, he was probably my favorite Tim Dinsdale. Mm-hmm. So that was just, something that I, I kind of fantasized about and said, man, I really, really want to do this one day. And at the time I was riding horses and I was into horse shows and stuff like that. So that took, that was my hobby. That was my, my sport at the time. Yeah. And my goal at that point was to get to the Olympic games and show jumping. Cause I, I do show jumping and stuff. And um, I never really thought about it really happening with the Lake monster stuff. And then it wasn't until like 2012 it was the weirdest thing. I was I was watching, I think it was National Geographic, Monsters of the Deep, I believe it was. And I was watching that. And um, at the time, I was part of a paranormal investigation group. I was the yeah. case manager. And I had a lot of weird things happen when I was visiting various haunted locations. Uh, I had some stuff follow me home. So I got sick of that. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I, I'm a magnet for this stuff. Yeah. When it comes to spirits, animals, and kids, it's just I'm oh, such wow. a I'm such I'm an empath, and um, it's it freaks me out sometimes. So I quit doing the paranormal stuff. But while I was doing the paranormal stuff, uh, that day that I saw this this program on Nat Geo, I said, you know, I want to get up to Lake Champlain finally because my mother never did bring me up to the lake. Oh wow. <laughs> So I uh, I told my friends, I said, hey, let's take a trip. You know, let's do something different. And they're like, okay, cool. And I had two friends that are, that are Bigfoot people. One is Dina Palazzini. I don't know if you know Dina at all. No, but I will give, I'm going to just say right now, I love how you, how you're giving <laughs> credit to all these folks as you, as you kind of came along. I'm kind of the same way. So it, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, respect I give, the people to help you along the way kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was funny, though, because when we finally got up to the lake and stuff and I got out of the car, I felt like I was home. It was the weirdest thing, just the the view of the mountains and, and everything. What's really strange, too, was I saw the movie What Lies Beneath when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I think Michelle Pfeiffer, I think that was the one that was in that movie. It was I'm it was kind of, a, it, yeah. kind of a creepy movie. But um, what was interesting about the background of that movie they filmed it in Addison County on Lake Champlain. I had no freaking idea. And I, I was like, oh, my God, where did they film this? And, you know, I was just a kid at the time. Like, where did they film this? I want to go there. And it was Lake Champlain. I had no idea the connection of my, you know, the fascination with Champ as I was growing up in this, this the background of this movie. I'm like, this is so yeah. weird. So um, that was kind of a weird coincidence. So when I got up to the lake with, with Dina and a couple of other people, it, it was weird because the second day that I was there, I, I woke up, I think it was around 10. We were up all night sitting around the campfire and stuff. And I went and sat out on a bench and I just cooked some eggs and bacon on the, on the uh, campfire. And I was sitting there looking out into the bay. It was, it was pretty, very, very calm. It wasn't completely like glass, but it, it was pretty calm. And when I looked out, there was a sailboat that was moored. I'd say that sailboat was probably about 20 feet long. And I just seen this dark thing come to the surface of the water and I'm like, Oh, look at that. It's a otter or a beaver. I I knew it wasn't a duck. It was, it was too large. And then I'm thinking otter or or beaver or whatever. I'm like, that's too big. And then I looked at the sailboat 
and how large that was. And it, it was almost as large as a sailboat. So I was like, holy crap, oh, wow. what, what the hell am I looking at? And when it first came up, it was just, just a hump. And then it started moving in a vertical undulation. And the more, it, the more, the faster it got, the more it started to like almost quiver, like muscles quivering. And this thing was just vertically undulating. Like it was the weirdest thing. And I'm like, what the hell is that? So <clears throat> Dina and my other friend, Chris, they were sitting at the picnic table, which was probably about eh, 45, 50 feet away from me, behind me. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm like, there's something out on the lake. They're like, well, if it's not Bigfoot, we really don't give a shit. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, they're, they were so into Bigfoot. They didn't care. I mean, it's like that now with the conventions. Everybody cares about Bigfoot and lake monsters. They could give a crap about, you know. So so they were like, what the hell? I don't know. And they just kind of, oh, that's cool. And that was it. Like, they didn't think it was a big deal. So I'm freaking out. And I ran to the car to get my camera because I didn't think I was going to see anything. Yeah. That's the funny Now, at part. this point, do you... <laughs> At this point, has it kind of like registered to you that like this is now I, I think I'm seeing champ? Well, I the the funny thing was at first when it popped up, I had no freaking clue what I was looking at. And then I, you always think of the head and neck sighting of a lake monster. Right. Every sighting head and neck, which is totally false. I mean, <clears throat> I would say 99, 98% of champ sightings are mostly just the back. The head and neck is really rare thing to see. <clears throat> so, excuse me. And um, so, yeah, I just, I was like, what? The, I knew it was not anything. It wasn't a wake. I grew up on the ocean in Rhode Island. I, I know boat wakes. I've seen whales. I've seen dolphins. I've seen floating logs, all of that stuff. So I knew it wasn't any of those things. And I, and I, afterward, they started looking up videos that dennis hall had captured uh he captured a lot of different videos of champ and i was like holy shit like this is the same freaking thing that i saw and it just like amazed me so that that night i was i was pissed though because i didn't get it on camera (laughs) it went down yeah 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 but it's okay because in 2014 i did and it was in the same damn spot and going the same direction it was the same it was a repeat of what i originally saw Oh, which wow. makes my belief that these animals are habitual. They, it's like deer when you go out to a field where you'll see a whole, you know, bunch of deer. And if you go back to, you may not see them there every night feeding, but if you go there every single night at that time, you're going to get, you're going to catch them there at one point. So yeah, you got, you know, your chances are improved. Exactly. So that's, <clears throat> that's how it happened. And then that, that night, cause I had watched on uh, monster quest and there was, this woman up in Burlington, and I'm friends with her. I, I should call her. I haven't spoken to her in a long time. She's, oh God, she's in her 90s. She's, but she doesn't oh, wow. act. She doesn't act like it. She acts like she's 25 years old. She's got <laughs> so much piss and vinegar. I love her. <laughs> um, so yeah, like she had a sighting of two of them that were underneath a light pole at her boathouse, and she was in the house in the at the time she lived there. Um, and then later on they moved into another house, but they still kept the boat house and rented out boats. And I rented a couple little rowboats from them and kayaks and stuff. But when she was looking, she, the dogs were barking cause they had a couple of beagles, uh, tied out and the dogs were freaking out barking. It was like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And she's like, what the hell? She thought maybe someone was coming to steal one of the boats. Cause I guess oh, they wow. did have, I guess they did have, uh, people steal from them often, which is kind of sad. Um, yeah, that's but, rough. Uh, so yeah, she was looking out and she saw these 
two she goes they look like dinosaurs i said what the hell am i looking at and she and she describes the long neck the long streamlined body walking along and i asked her i said where did they come from and she says they came out of the woods and they came up to the light i'm like they came out of the woods i'm thinking that's freaking weird <clears throat> so i looked at um a google earth image of where the boathouse is and behind that, it is at the mouth of the Winooski River, which is a great place for these animals to feed. You got a lot of fish coming out of the river, the mouth of the rivers. So what was really interesting was behind that, there is a massive swamp. Hmm. And she said one of them, the bigger one, had, it looked all moldy to me. She goes, that's all I could describe it. It looked moldy. I'm like, that's weird, but, but like a blackish color, which you can make out in the light and stuff. And she's like, but that bigger one looked kind of moldy to me. And I'm like, that's weird. And then I started thinking about it, going out and, and doing research and, and just studying the ecology around Lake Champlain and stuff. Looking at the turtles that are out there, they're covered, a lot of them are covered in duckweed. The green duckweed ah. that floats at the surface. Um, yeah. And when they come out of hibernation, a lot of snapping turtles have that duckweed and moss and stuff stuck to their to their carpus. So it's it's really, I think that's what it was. I think this animal was covered in this duckweed. And since it's older, it's been going out in the swamp longer and stuff. And the younger one, she said it was like more of a brownish, blackish color. It was about the same color, but she said it didn't have that green stuff on it. Yeah. So that was a really interesting report. And then it was like a couple weeks later, they came back. And she said, the, when, I, when I got interviewed by the people at Monster Quest, she goes, I, I told them about... You know, seeing seeing one under the light pole. I'm trying to think if she said that she saw two at that time. Yeah, she did. But then the second time, she goes, I just told him I saw one. She goes, it was it was the same two that I saw the first time. She said, I didn't want them to think I'm completely bonkers, you know? Right. So that was really interesting. And I think, um, I don't know if the light attracted them or the bugs that are going up to the light are falling into the water. Because I guess the water level at that time went right up to that light. Wow, and so, the, so the bugs falling into the water are going to attract bait fish, and they do feed on fish. So, I mean, who knows? Uh, they they were probably seeing the opportunity of a bunch of fish being around or something. I don't know. It's yeah. really, really, really interesting. So that sighting was cool. And her brother, she called up her brother because he lived down the road. She says, Charlie, he, he just passed away a few years back, and I miss him greatly. He was a great guy. And he had told me that, he goes, yeah, Chris called me up and said, they're back. The champs are back. And he's like, I'm driving down there. So he drove his truck down. As soon as he got to where, like probably, mm, I would say, 100 feet away from where the pole was, they just, they were like, see you later. They went into the lake. But he could, just caught a glimpse of them, of a motion going into the lake from the from the boat ramp there. Yeah. So he just, just got like the tail end of it pretty much. But um, I mean, they have a high sensitivity of hearing. So that's no surprise to me. There's been a lot of reports of them uh, being on shore sunbathing. And as soon as someone slams their car door, or car pulls up, they, they're gone. They're, they're like, see you later. So um, oh, that, weird. yeah. So that night, the, the, the night, well, the day that I had my sighting that particular evening, I thought about her report. And I said to my friends, hey, let's go out on the trails and like, that, and then the trails at Button Bay State Park go all along the all along the shoreline. And I thought that the shoreline, because I'd never been there before, I thought the shoreline was like right next to the trail. But the next day when I went to look, there's actually this really large 
steep embankment that goes down. So we were walking down the trail that night and Dina stayed at camp and, and she had, um, we had walkie talkies and stuff. So she was at camp. She's like, Oh, my back hurts. And she had, she had her, her pack of beer. <laughs> she didn't want to go anywhere, you know, <laughs> God bless her. I don't blame her, but I, yeah. I was just, I was just determined to see if I, you know, could find anything or hear anything. And we went down the trail and we were gabbing away and being loud and obnoxious and, you know, just not thinking we're going to hear anything. And uh, my friend stops and he's like, Shh, be quiet. What the hell is that? And we heard this like splashing and it was almost like it sounded like a seal you know when a seal is splashing around when you go yeah, to like, yeah, the yeah. aquarium and they're on the rocks and they're splashing around rolling around that's what it sounded like floppy splashy it was the weirdest thing and i was like maybe it's a moose that's in the water walking around a bear right yeah that makes uh, sense because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean those are native animals to uh, vermont and i i just it was it was weird because to me if it was a moose it would have sounded like a horse going through water. And I've been riding horses my whole life. The footfalls of a horse did not coincide with what we were hearing. So everybody starts running. And I'm like, where the hell, where are you guys going? I want to see what the hell it is. Screw you. We're out of here. And, and they <laughs> ran back. And I'm running down the trail trying to catch up with them. And I was really mad. I was like, come on. You know, oh, it was just frustrating. So the next day, yeah. um, you know, we went out in a canoe. And at the time... I made my own hydrophone. <laughs> we used a PZO <laughs> mic. We did all kinds of crazy homemade DIY crap. Um, I made a underwater camera with a PVC pipe. Oh wow! And we put we put that put put the camera in there. And, and this was your first visit it. to Lake Champlain. It was, yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I already rigged up <laughs> a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean it wasn't anything professional. It was it was jury rigged, but it was it was something. I uh, we even had backpacks. I'll have to find the video so I can post it because um, my friend at the time he he was scared of whatever the sound was, and he was like he's like six foot four. I'm like, dude, you're a baby. Oh, wow. Like, give me a break, you know. But we had these backpacks that we got at Salvation Army that we had bought, and we we rigged them with like a um, uh, what do you call it? One of those arm things, kind of like MTV Fear. Remember MTV Fear? Vaguely. That show, yeah, that where they like film themselves like getting all freaked oh, out, okay. haunted so, places, yeah, and stuff right. like so that. Like an arm to like like a selfie kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it was like a selfie yeah. arm, and, and it, it bent and stuff. So we had a camera on one of them, and a battery pack in the freaking backpack, and we had a camcorder like attached to it because we didn't have GoPros then. You know, this was uh right. 2000, 2012. We didn't have GoPros yet, so where I do have the video somewhere it's on, on his YouTube somewhere, but you don't really hear the freaking splashing. And I'm like, what the hell? I wish we had like better microphones on the damn thing. Cause you would have been able to hear it. Maybe if I enhance it, I might be able to hear something. Nowadays, yeah. yeah, you might be able yeah. To hear. So the next day we went back during the daytime. I said, I want to see if I find any prints in the sand or something. We went back and I looked and I said, Holy shit. Like this embankment, is super super steep and it was quite a ways from the shoreline and i'm like it sounded like it was right next to us right yeah. next it was it was loud and you know of course i went down and looked there wasn't any prints but i mean the water could have washed them away if there was something walking around um but what was interesting that embankment was all tall grass and something had squished the grass down it looked like like someone took a wheelbarrow and kind of went down the hill like a, almost like a sea turtle track that you see on right, the beach. Right, right. It looks, yeah. it looks yeah. similar to that. Of course, I didn't see any prints because it was in the tall grass. 
But um, it was weird. And I know that deer, you know, when they lay down and stuff, they're going to compact the grass down. I, I, I just don't, I don't know what it was. I'm not saying, I'm not saying 100% it was champ, but it was very, very strange. So the next night we went out and it happened again. And these idiots, like, they did the same thing. They took off without me again. And I'm like, I don't want to be, al- I really don't want to be alone out here. Like, I didn't have, I carry a pistol now, but, I mean, I don't have, oh, wow. I didn't, I don't have, at the time, I didn't have a pistol with me. I was like, well, what, I don't know. I mean, if it was, like, a freaking bear or, you know, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, you don't so. know what you're going to encounter. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. It was crazy, but, um. That was a weird experience, but yeah, that was my first sighting and my first strange on land experience that I had. Wow. So that, that really, it changed, it changed my life, man. Like it just did. And I'm like, there's definitely something to this. And I look back at just watching Unsolved Mysteries and I'm like, I am so glad that I saw that Nancy photo on that show because my life, my, I could be, I don't know, I could be some doctor or lawyer and all that cool you know that would be cool but i'm living my dream i'm living what i want to do and yeah i mean you can't you can't get better than that and and it's just it's it's a lot of work the stuff that i do and a lot of people are like oh you're so lucky i'm jealous you're out there doing this i'm like dude you have no freaking idea like right i've got a boat and stuff breaks on the boat your equipment breaks it costs tons of money and you're out there in 90 degree, 100 degree heat sometimes. I've gotten heat stroke quite a few times. Um, I mean, there's a lot to it. And it's not just TV crap. You know, like when you watch, you know, Josh Gates, I love Josh Gates. I met him in person. And I was also on his, on his show Expedition X at one point. But, you know, when people are filming, TV's TV. You know, they do go out and look, but it's kind of like, you know, it's scripted. Right, right. Scripted. I mean, as far as doing television programs, though, my biggest rule is I do not ever, ever fake anything. And if they expect me to fake something or lie about something, I tell them to pound sand. I will not do that. I take pride in my work and I and I work way too hard to make up a bunch of crap for for hits, views, whatever. I just I just. I'm a straight shooter and, and I know you are too. And that's why I think you get along so well. (laughs) That's what I, yeah, that's what I was saying when I introduced you. All right. So that, that kind of, this is amazing because we've got, that was a lot more involved than I, (laughs) than I expected. So you had this incredible experience. So then, uh, so then what, what, when, so, okay. So when are you like, okay, now I'm done with the ghost hunting. I had this experience. I'm going to go and, actually go and start searching for this um for this creature because like you and steve very kind of similar to the steve feltham story in a way where it's like he became so taken by what he saw that he moved to loch ness it's like that's pretty much kind of what happened with you you had this experience and then you became a champ searcher yeah it was um it was funny. My dad used to, well, my, my dad, like I said earlier in private conversation, my dad passed last October and my dad was always, he swore like a sailor. He was a sailor in a way. He was a fisherman at one time. And uh, he, he told me, girl, you got more, more balls than a Christmas goose. <laughs> like dad, really? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just, I don't, I, I try not to do, I, I mean, I don't want to do anything half-assed. I mean, I just, right. I want everything to the point and I'm very, very particular. 
about who I work with and how I do my protocol and stuff like that. And um, I knew from my sighting and my, my weird nighttime experience on my trip up that there was definitely something there and, and watching um, Monster Quest, Elizabeth Von Muggenthaler that did the echolocation recording there. I became friends with her and um, she, we went up to the lake and stuff together and unfortunately she just kind of wanted a party and stuff which kind of sucked and I'm like I was like hey Liz you know you really got some great stuff with the echolocation and we should do some recordings and she just it was the weirdest thing it's like she wasn't interested she was more interested in going out and seeing her friends yeah. and because <clears throat> she grew up she grew up on the lake and um so it was like pulling teeth to get anything done with her unfortunately um so then she had said to me she's like I said, well, I'm going to start doing recordings because this is a shame that you didn't continue this. <clears throat> and she kind of got a little miffed with me because of it. And she's like, oh, well, you're trying to take over. I'm like, I'm not trying to take over anything. I just think it's it's definitely worth further investigation. And if you think that way, then continue what you were doing then. I mean, at least, you know, get off your butt and do what you were doing because she was brilliant, totally brilliant. And um, then that's when I started doing the hydrophone work and, um, I've gone out and studied whales and dolphins and recorded their sounds, uh, tagged a mako shark in the North Atlantic. I did all this stuff on my own. And I think that the key to investigating cryptids is really knowledge, yeah. the knowledge of nature, um, the environment that you're working in, the animals that are in the area, all of that. I think it's better than sitting in a classroom in college with a book in front of you and, and yeah, you have yeah. no experience whatsoever out in nature. Um, so that's what I've done. And I am going to be going to school for marine biology and marine bioacoustics. That's in my future oh, wow. plans, the future plans. Um, I'm hope I'm hoping to do that within the year at least, or even next year. So um, that's something that's in the process, but I, but I think it's really important to get out there and, there's so many people that pretend that they're field researchers. They'll go out maybe once, maybe not even once a year, once every two years. But right, they're, right. they wear the Indiana Jones hat and I'm this big explorer. <laughs> <clears throat> and yeah. some of these people I've worked with and, you know, there was a person I worked with that he wears the hat and he grew a beard and all this crap. And it's like, dude, when you were out with me on a kayak doing a thing on Champ, you were complaining about the bugs. He's yelling, go away, bug. And like, he's killing me. it's the sun is killing me. How do you do this every day? And I'm like, and now he's like this big so-called world, world explorer. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> it's just, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but this is the truth. It's like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like, give me a break. And, and I got, you know, at the beginning when I started this stuff, I, I really got um, a lot of bullying by guys and I have nothing against guys. All my friends are guys, yeah, you know, the majority. Yeah. And it was just the stupidest thing because they, I guess they were just mad that I was getting evidence, but it's right, like, right. you can't get evidence unless you're out there. Stop right. whining yeah, you, and bitching about it and get out there and do the work. And then absolutely. Yeah. You can't it, win if you don't play. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I've been through so much crap and you and I've talked about it before and it's like, People in the crypto world, in my opinion, a lot of them kiss ass to get somewhere and yeah, nobody yeah. wants to tell the truth. And I mean, I could go on and, and <laughs> say all kinds of things, but I'm, 
I'm trying to keep right. it short. short yeah, things, yeah, <laughs> just to just to sort of back you up. Yeah, there's a lot of what I would call brand building. And yeah. it's sort of like or or personality, their own they kind of build up their own thing. And it's like you don't need to you're out there just doing the shit. You're out there doing the searching. It's your brand is the quality stuff you're bringing back from your research. It's like but the, the there's a lot of sort of just like they make the logo before they have done anything. They spend they spend more time making sure their T-shirts uh, look cool yeah. or whatever uh, before they actually bring anything to the table. Um, yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's it's just it's just like I don't I don't understand it because um, you got to you got to like support the people that are out there doing this stuff. And yeah. if you're really interested and you true, truly wholeheartedly um, support the research of champ or whatever. I mean, come on, like I'm doing all the work and then, you know, you get, I get bullied for it. Like I, not anymore. I mean, thank God. Right, right, right. I mean, once in a while, some, some turtle show up, but it's, <laughs> that's just the way it goes, you know? And I'm, I just, well, laugh. I think they, I think I can, I, I think they've learned their lesson cause you'll punch them in the nose. So that's what I like mm-hmm. about you. You'll, You'll you'll throw it right back at them, uh, um, probably from years of having to deal with this shit. But yeah, I, I, that's why I really admire you because I'll see some of your <laughs> Facebook posts and I'm like, oh shit, Katie just waylaid some dude. That was awesome. <laughs> well, you know, it's just uh, it's and then people will say things because it was just one person that caused this whole thing, and it's like just one person can cause so much crap, and it and, yeah. and convinces all these other people, and it's like. Are these people that naive just to believe what one person's saying when they don't even know the whole story or anything like right, that? Right. I mean, I I worked so hard with helping out a, a documentary that I did, and then later on I got trashed because of that person that was saying crap about me because he wasn't getting any evidence at the lake, and it just it hurt. It's like you know, yeah, yeah. I spent all of my money on gas and food and all this stuff to accommodate for someone to make a documentary. Now I do. This wasn't a big TV thing. This was just a indie production. Yeah. And um and then later on I get I get trashed and stuff and I'm like, "What the heck? I did the best I could to help you out. Mind you, they're making over $100,000 would sell on the documentary and not one person that was part of it. It was it was me and a few other people. Nobody yeah. ever got a thank you. Um I mean, it was, Let alone it's any money, I assume. No, I mean, I mean, you know, at the beginning, I I said, okay, look, normally, I because I get a per diem when I do TV shows and stuff, and that helps me continue my research and buy my equipment, which I have my ROV, I got my boat, I've got hydrophone system, I got all kinds of stuff, and it really, you know, it's helped me to branch off and and get new technology involved. So at the time, they were like, oh, we have no money, we can't pay. And I'm like, that's cool, you know, not a problem. And then when I found out they made all that money, I was like, damn, like we didn't even get a $10 gift card, (laughs) you know, from Dunkin Donuts. So, and then I, and then when I mentioned the person that was saying stuff that I had stay at my house, even um, to the main person of, of the documentary crew, he said that I was full of drama and then he blocked me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I was just saying, I, I didn't think it was fair or professional for him to be siding with some researcher that was jealous of my work and that sort it was just crazy so that does happen and a lot of people don't want to talk about it because oh no i don't want to uh, upset anybody but 
it needs to be told because this stuff happens constantly and we all need to work together. That's what this is all about is working together because the more we work together, the more we're going to get accomplished. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's disappointing. And, uh, you know, if, if this movie makes like a hundred thousand made a hundred thousand, they like, they, I don't know. It's a decent thing to be like turn around and, and, and throw some back to the people that were in the movie. But you know, that's, I guess that's why I'm not making movies, right? Because uh, <laughs> I'd be too generous. Now, we, we've we talked a lot about sort of champ and everything. Let me sort of set the stage a little bit for people who, uh, I feel like we jumped in with both feet right into Lake Champlain. So we'll, we'll kind of just back up a little bit here and just sort of, for folks who don't know, Lake Champlain, it's this enormous lake, and Katie can kind of give you more information about this in a moment but it's this enormous lake that sits on the border of vermont and new york state um and i looked it up online just a brief thing here loch ness uh for comparison sakes the volume of loch ness is 1.775 cubic miles uh of water i guess um and lake champlain is 6.2 cubic miles uh so it's like it's like three times the the volume of of, of Loch Ness. It's enormous and it stretches like a huge length along the border. So Katie, I guess tell people, just give them a thumbnail on what Lake Champlain is so they can kind of get a, an understanding, maybe picture this in their mind or, you know, they can look it up on a map obviously and see how, how big it is, but it is, it is enormous. Yeah. The lake um, was once an arm of the Atlantic ocean at one time, about 10,000 years ago. Um, what's really interesting is in the area, beluga whale skeletons have been found and actually the state fossil of Vermont is the beluga whale that they unearthed in Sh- Charlotte, Vermont. Um, and it was, it was, uh, I think it was eight, 1849 by Zadok Thompson. He was a naturalist at UVM and he looked at this skeleton that was found by a crew of railroad workers and said, wow, uh, maybe this is like a skull of a horse or an ox. He, he couldn't really quite figure it out first. And then he said, wow, this is a beluga whale. So that was proof right there that this whole area was the Champlain Sea at one time. Um, yeah. the, the lake, like, like you said, it's, it's huge. It's 120 miles long, 12 miles at the widest. Uh, average depth is about 64 feet, but it can get uh, up to uh, 400 feet. And I think, it, I think it can get much deeper because when I was out with a Japanese crew about four years ago, we, we basically got to a depth. I think it was 415. But they're saying like the maximum maximum is 400. But there are caves and tunnels and stuff like that. I know for fact because a friend of mine, scuba diver, had been over near Split Rock, which is called the Narrows on Lake Champlain, and was diving. And he went into this type of cave, and then he dropped down into another cave. And he got down so deep, he started running out of air. And I'm like, you got to be crazy as hell to be going down that deep. I mean, that's just enough just yeah. nuts but um but there are definitely in my opinion i i think that there's definitely uh, a cave system um there's so much adversity of that lake that when i have my sonar on on my research boat kelpie 2 when i look at some of the areas um, where there's been sightings there is a lot of ledges the ledges are really important because when you have ledges and you have structure even shipwrecks you have a huge congregation of bait fish and other types of fish that are yeah. along those those ledges. And that's where a lot of these sightings are. Um, in particular, I don't ever really tell, like, 
where I got my sonar and all that stuff because right, right, right. you know there's the law that um that I actually wrote in New York State to protect these animals, and oh, you wow. know there's there's been people who have uh, in the past this one woman it was in the newspaper many years ago, um uh, she had seen something come up and she had her shotgun and she shot at it. Well, oh, later wow. on, later on a big sturgeon, it was a sturgeon, washed up on the shore. Um, <laughs> so I mean she didn't know the difference between a sturgeon and champ, but I know and I know for a fact that there are some sightings that could be mistaken for champ because sturgeon are very freaky looking fish. Um, they have scoots on their back and they have these bumps and champ also has these kind of bumps on their back as well. But the coloring's not the same. Sturgeon yeah. are gray. Champ is known to be blackish brown in color. Um, and also sturgeons don't have a long neck. I mean, some of the <laughs> head and neck sightings that are very, very rare or the on land sightings, um, that have occurred, uh, definitely not sturgeon. So, but I can see if someone's not familiar with sturgeon, could definitely mistaken that for something totally unknown. Yeah. And so this lake monster, it had been, it had been discussed by the native Americans. From what I understand it, there, there have been sightings. They had kind of talked about it. What would you say, when did it kind of become part of the cultural, zeitgeist if you will when did it become was this with the mancy photo or was that prior to this or like what about would you say that like people it became kind of like again part of the zeitgeist part of the local culture where it was like all right this is this is we might have a lake monster here kind of thing well i would say probably the biggest uh the biggest how would i put it pandemic of champ was it was back in <laughs> yeah back in the 1800s okay. uh the 18, 1800s was like a huge huge time there was a lot a lot of sightings of champ back in, in the 1800s um there was a railroad crew in 1873 that had seen an enormous serpent they said with bright silvery scales and um there's been so many reports in the 1800s there was another one okay uh it was called the steamship WB Eddy encountered champ by running into it. So that was, oh, wow. a, that was a crazy encounter. Um, there was a bunch of tourists on board that were freaking out and stuff like that. So I don't think that champ had his radar on right that day. <laughs> so I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what the hell was happening with that. Um, and then PT Barnum actually offered a reward of $50,000, which is a lot of money back then in 1873. Yeah. For the height of the great champlain sea serpent to add to his mammoth world's fair show so that oh, wow. was really interesting and i'm so glad i'm so glad that champ's protected now because we don't need any pt barnums around he sucks you know <laughs> like, yeah yeah exactly but, yeah, i mean yeah. honestly it, when there's been cases of people going out and, and trying to search for these animals and stuff and um over at loch ness there was one guy and i'm trying to think of his name but he even suggested that he was going to throw in a stick of dynamite to try to kill oh, wow. one. And it's like, what the hell are these people thinking? So, yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah. And um, all right. So you're saying the yeah. 1800s, it was like that's that, that's kind of when it became part of the cultural. Fabric, Absolutely did. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right. OK. Um, well, instead of talking about the historic stuff, I want to talk more about your experiences because you've how many how many times would you say you've seen this creature at this point? Well, it's ballpark. Kind of, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because we're looking out on the lake. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. 
you know, yeah. and I'm like, it's it's probably them. But, you know, definitively, I, I could never. I got some videos, like, weird disturbances and crap, and I, I just never put them out there because it wasn't definitive. It wasn't solid enough right, for me right. to go and say, hey, it's it's definitely a couple of champ animals or whatever. Um, I mean, I got my sonar, my sonar images uh, back in 2019, so that, that was twice. Then I got my um, video in 2014. So that's three. Then my first sighting was four. And then um, the latest one was last September, September 10th of 2022, when I got the video, so sonar video. Um, yep. So that that's, I would say that's five in total. And then I had a head and, night, head and neck sighting at one point, which I don't even like to talk about because I didn't get it on camera. It was across the lake and I don't really give a crap if anybody believes me or not. But it, was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was crazy because at the time, uh, my camera was kind of crap. I'm trying to remember what the hell I had for camera, but it wouldn't zoom in that far across the lake. And um, my Dennis Hall that did a lot of champ research back in the day. He was with me and he said, hey, there's two champs across the lake. And I'm like, you're full of crap. <laughs> it's two boats because it was hard yeah. to see. And I looked through the spotting scope that he had and the one the thing in the front was crawling along really fast and this this head and neck came up and I almost I honest to God when I talk about it I cry the two reasons why I cry because no one ever will ever believe what the hell I'm saying and what I've yeah. seen and number two I didn't have my freaking camera so right. that's why I cry I mean my camera was there <laughs> but it didn't freaking zoom in and I threw it on the floor of the car because I was pissed off and yeah. it was um if I had gotten that on video man <laughs> that would have been something. So that else. was a head and neck sighting, you said. Yes, uh, yes. Okay. And when when the animal in the front, when the head and neck came up, it was like slow motion, and it coiled like a snake in a loop, and its chin was up, and it had the horse-like head, and it had a fish in its mouth because there was oh, a bunch wow. of fish. There was a bunch of fish jumping as they were swimming. You could see like these little things kind of do 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 going everywhere. And it had a fish in its mouth, and then it uncoiled its neck, like just like a snake. And I'm thinking to myself, "What the hell am I seeing? This is just I'm so I don't even like talking about this because, <laughs> as you know how I am, right, I get right. I've gotten so much evidence now. It's crazy. If I got that, man, it would be a totally. The only bad part is you probably have every Tom, Dick, and Harry up there trying to kill one or whatever, and yeah, that's the only exactly, thing I do yeah. worry about. But um, <clears throat> and it gracefully put its head and neck down, went under, crawled along a little bit, and, and they were both gone. It was two of them. And yeah. what's really interesting is it was right near where I got one of my sonar images. So oh, they they like that particular area. There is uh, ledges there where there's fish congregating. and uh, But that, I cried. I cried for two hours after that. I couldn't stop crying oh, wow. because I, I was, I mean, number one, I was just peed off that my camera wouldn't right, be yeah, that yeah, far. Yeah. And, someone um, dedicated as you, yeah, I can imagine that would be like, ugh. like a, it's like a double-edged sword. It's like this amazing moment. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's maddening, maddening. I can imagine. Now, and, so what do you think this creature is? Because it, it's you, uh, the horse head is really unique. So you think it's sort of a unique, yet to be discovered aquatic creature, essentially? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, they look very much like a plesiosaur, but. What's really interesting about them is their midsection is much longer. Like in my first sonar image, well, in the second one too, um, where there's appendages in the front and the back, uh, there was one laying on the bottom. Well, they were both laying on the bottom in the first image, but 
one of them's kind of blurry, <clears throat> but the other one's just completely still, and you can see the nostrils and these horn-like protuberances on top of the head. And what's interesting about that, um, every depiction I've ever seen of the horned serpent that the Native Americans talked about, uh, they usually have pointy horns like a goat. And I'm like, that, that looks stupid, you know? And when I saw this, it matched up with the the head and the neck that I saw above the water. And that's how I knew. And all the reports together, you know, you, you take all of these things and you put them together, like pieces of a puzzle. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. This is crazy. I mean, I kept reanalyzing this, this image over and over again. And I said, oh, my God, it's crazy. And like to see the, the appendages in the front, like I think they have webbed feet. It looks like a clawed webbed foot, kind of like an alligator or a soft shell turtle. They kind of have uh, they have digits in between their web, you know, their webbed feet. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, they're very much like a plesiosaur, but they have a longer midsection, uh, more of a rigid jawline and a horse-like head. Plesiosaurs really didn't have a horse-like head, uh, in appearance. Um, but they're very similar also to a mosasaur. If you look at the mosasaurs, they had those web-type feet and a longer right, right. neck, but not quite as long as what Champ is. So whatever these animals are, I believe, number one, they're ectothermic. They take the outside temperature to, to sustain their inner core temperature, which is what turtles, frogs, you know, amphibians and reptiles do. So I'm yeah. leaning towards more of a reptile because there have been sightings on shore of them sunbathing. They're trying to take in that, that warmth uh, to sustain their inner core temperature. And, um, yeah, whatever they are, they're not in our known fossil record. I've gone through all kinds of literature and books of uh, fossils and you name it they don't match yeah. up with anything they don't match up with anything and there's certain features of the plesiosaur and the mosasaur that they do so um the echolocation the echolocation is something that mammals normally give off and like i said i've done a lot of research with whales and dolphins and recorded their sounds um down here in florida where i am most uh, most of the time now in the winter time because in the winter time on the lake is not fun can't go on, on yeah <laughs> I mean, I've gone out on the ice and I did a, a show for the science channel and I'm like, you guys want to film now? This is crazy. So I said, all right, I'll make the best of it. And I went out on the ice cause I do like to ice fish and I fish all the time on the lake. And, um, I went out with my hydrophone and my underwater camera and I got, had an ice auger and <laughs> rev that now, does up. The and hydrophone, does the hydro, like, what is that? Have you, what would you, I guess, what would, what would constitute sort of evidence in a way from a hydrophone? Cause like, look at, I, I wouldn't know what the hell I'm listening to uh, if you were like, all right, Tim, the hydrophone's going here. Put your ear in. And I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know what. So what is, what are you looking for? What are you listening for when you put oh. the hydrophone in there? What are you, what are you trying to detect? So what I, what, the, okay, this is how I started with the hydrophone. So hearing the original court recordings that Liz von Muggenthaler had gotten back in 2003, mm -hmm. I think 2009, she got quite a few. Um, Listening to those, it, it was echolocation. So very similar to killer whale or beluga whale, which is interesting okay. because beluga whales were were in, in that area when it was the Champlain Sea. Um, so I was listening for those kinds of sounds. <clears throat> and then also I did a lot of studying, my own studying on the, the fish in the lake and the sounds that they make. So you have freshwater drum. Uh, sheephead is another name for them. And they, they make kind of a grunting noise, just short bursts of grunting. 
-hmm. So you have those kind of fishes, other kinds of fish that make like a clack clack noise. Um, you also have man-made sounds like fish finders. A fish finder will do like a ticking, like a clock tip, 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 tip. Okay. So I did all this studying on all of these sounds in the lake and to dis distinguish the difference and studying spectrograms, which is a graph that shows you uh, echo, the difference between echolocation, the different hertz is there's a lot to it. And I did a lot yeah, of yeah. studying, a lot of studying on that um, to aid in my research on the lake and in the whales and dolphins stuff. <clears throat> so on the spectrogram, um, when I got my 2014 recording of echolocation, it was funny because it was kind of like a purring type of noise, like, and I'm oh, like, wow. what the hell is that? And at first, because I was out on the boat and everything, I had thought maybe the bimini top, like it was a little slight breeze. I thought maybe the bimini top was making that noise, you know, like a vibration or something. And it yeah. wasn't the bimini top and there was no boats around us. And like I, like I had mentioned to you before in, in private conversation, what's, what's really amazing about all the research, the data that I've collected is everything's been analyzed by experts and stated authentic. So it's like, nobody can argue with that you know it's yeah. it's just one of those things where you have to do a lot of studying on bioacoustics marine bioacoustics and exactly. yeah. the, the sounds of man-made things like boat motors they're noisy as hell that's why um you never want to tow your hydrophone with your boat on because you're not going to hear right. anything. what's the point yeah exactly. yeah <laughs> they just yeah. they recently did that at loch ness that's another story for another time but, oh that's what, <laughs> they, oh that was the yeah. That happened during the big search, huh? <laughs> yeah, that did. And also, someone forgot to turn the hydrophone on. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, come on, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. You, you only have a weekend. You know, it was like yeah. two days. Well, I think it was like two days, right? I think it was two days. Or maybe well, three. Well, yeah, they were the, the, the maddening part. It's almost like this, this, whatever these mysteries are, like they play tricks with us. Because they were, apparently they were testing the hydrophone on the Friday afternoon before the big surf just sort of like get all the equipment ready and then that's when they heard the weird sounds and they hadn't turned on the recordings because they were the recorder because they were just doing a test to like make sure everything was running so it was a very unfortuitous circumstances uh you know it's just kind of like one of those this like the trickster element to a lot of this uh yeah know. so yeah it's kind of uh, they were very. They, they, I'm sure that they would empathize with your experience with the head and neck side because the the quotes I yeah. saw they were they were kicking themselves like they were like, oh man, we why you know we just didn't think to turn it on because we were just doing to turn it you know we turned it on to test it and next thing you know we heard these sounds and we were like shit we didn't turn on the recording part either so yeah it <laughs> well was, it's a it learn it's a learn it's a learning curve it really is it eventually you just know you have a certain way of doing things like I. I just have that checklist in my head. Make sure this is on before you put it in the water and, you know, make sure you have extra batteries and make sure you have extra SD cards and all that stuff. So it's definitely yeah. a learning, a learning curve for sure. And it takes time to learn to be on the ball and it's not an easy thing. It's something that you have to practice at all the time. Now let's talk a little bit. Now we'll put a link up for people who are, uh, we'll have a link in somewhere and, um, you know, it actually, honestly, the easiest way would probably be to do it the way I just did, which would be to go to the to go to the Coast to Coast AM website because I've covered Katie's work uh, consistently over the last four or five years, and and punch and uh, search for Lake Champlain, and you'll find these things. But we're going to try and put links, in, I guess, in the YouTube comments. I'm trying to move people over to YouTube now. 
uh, for Banal of America. But, uh, and for the people listening on the podcast feed, go to the Banal of America website. We'll have the link. But let's talk a little bit about these sonar images. I'm looking at the one from 2019. Um, I'm sure you don't, I, I assume you don't necessarily have to pull it up right in front of you because you know what it looks like. So it, yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's this sort of layer of, of coloration. And then within that layer of coloration is sort of like a snaky looking thing. Is that, I mean, yeah. that's my bet. Okay. So tell me, what am I looking at here in this, in this sonar photo? Okay. So the, the bottom of the lake, cause I use sonar all the time, especially for yeah. fishing too. On the bottom of the lake, the substrate on the bottom is all sand in that image. So it's you can tell that there's not any rocks or anything like that. It's very sandy. See how smooth it looks? Yep, you don't yep, see okay. any big lumpy things and that. So yep. that's the bottom of, of the lake. And on the right, there's something laying on the bottom. That's that's the first animal that you can kind of see pretty clearly. I mean, it's if someone never looked at sonar, they don't know what the hell they're looking at. That's the right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the left, there is a much larger creature, which I would say she, I I name them. It sounds kind of funny and silly, but I named no, that one El, I named that one Elsie, and the other one's Puff because he's got huge nostrils like Puff the Magic Dragon. You gotta keep <laughs> you gotta keep the humor in this stuff. That's important too in research. Yeah. So um, so uh, yeah, the one on the left is quite blurry. I think because you don't see a type of face looking at you. I think her head was turned the other direction, which kind of makes me mad because. If that animal was facing towards the sonar beam, you would have gotten that face as well. And you could kind of, it would be interesting to see if there's a difference in morphology of their heads. Right. Because right. they do have those horn-like protuberances on top of the head. Whether it signifies sex, it could be just the males have those. Or, I mean, even in the Mansi photo, if you enlarge that photo, this is in my book as well, Water Horse of Lake Champlain, The Search. Which is available on Amazon, but it's only ebook ebook version though, because I'm having issues with Amazon with the print print version, so I'm not too happy with Amazon at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that the one on the left is really blurry, and the one on the right is, is quite clear, just kind of like chilling out on the bottom and probably saying, "Oh God, here she goes." I mean, we were going quite yeah, fast yeah. at the time, and we had turned around the boat because I was running out of gas. I said, "What the hell?" Because I the boat that I had at the time was really old. And the gas gauge jumped up and down, and as soon as you slow down, it would really tell you where you're at with your <laughs> with your gas tank. Yeah, yeah. And so when I slowed down, I was like, oh, my God, like, we need to get gas. So I'm like, I'm going to turn around and head back and get gas, and then we can come back up. So I went to turn around, and uh, my friend Frank, who passed away not too long ago, unfortunately, he was a great uh, friend and researcher that was part of my team, him and his wife started screaming and I really couldn't hear what the hell they were saying because my motor was running and I couldn't really hear right, much. Right. And I could just make out, we just saw something pop three feet out of the water. And I'm thinking, well, you knuckleheads, like I just turned around. So it's probably the weight that I was giving right, off right, yeah. from doing a U-turn, you know? And uh, I didn't really pay much attention to them. I was like, whatever. So I was looking at the screen and all of a sudden there's these two long things on the bottom. I said, what the hell? And Frank's like, what the hell is that? I'm like, I don't know. We're in 163 feet of water. I have no freaking idea what, what it could be because if it's logs, I mean, you normally don't see logs out in the middle of like a hundred and something feet water. Just, yeah. it's very rare to see. So yeah. I said, well, I'm going to take a screenshot of it and just, I was too concerned about running out of damn fuel out in the lake. Right, right, yeah. So um, we we took that picture and stuff, and we headed back. And then Frank was like, "I don't really feel so good. Can can we like go back out another time?" And I said, "Sure." And um, 
I went back home and I mean, I was, I went over 65, well, 64 other images before I got to that one. I said, oh, I'm going to try to find that weird thing that we saw. <clears throat> and when I zoomed in, I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Holy yeah. crap. I mean, it was the same shape of head that I saw in that, in that site. It was the same shape of the, the head in the Mansi photo and the Bo, the Bodet footage. Uh, right. It was the same freaking thing. And I'm like, wow. And then I look and there's these appendages in the front. It's not pareidolia. There's no freaking way. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's definitely crazy. something on that. Yeah. There's definitely something in that picture. I and mean, um, it's wild. So I ended up going back a couple weeks later and stuff because the weather got kind of crappy and around September time, the weather can be a little unpredictable on the lake. So we headed out. <clears throat> I went with a, another friend of mine out on the boat and I said, hey, let's head up to, because I mean, those images got all over the web and stuff and uh, on yeah. the news and everything. And people are like, oh, it's probably logs on the bottom, schools of fish. And it's like, dude, I know the difference. I've seen right, everything right. in the lake. I've seen, I've got images of shipwrecks in the lake and right, and yeah. remnants of shipwrecks that nobody even knew were there um which is really interesting too um so what had happened was i went back to the spot and guess what the logs <laughs> the logs were gone <laughs> <laughs> they, they they swam away the logs swam away and that was awesome that we went to that location and they were completely gone so obviously it wasn't freaking logs um yeah. and then further up the lake i saw something on the screen it was like this huge bait ball of fish and it was spreaded out and i'm like what the hell and it was just really strange and then i saw these two things on the screen my my sonar at the time was really small and you got the sun glare and stuff mm -hmm. so i couldn't really see that good and i said uh, anything weird that i see because i can't make it out on the screen until i get it home on the computer and then you blow it up and it's you can see the detail i said well i'm going to take pictures of every every screenshot i can if I see something strange. <clears throat> so I did that. And then going over those images, I came to that one and it was them under the freaking boat. And I'm like, it was the same size, each one, two of them again. And this time the one in the front, you could see this bubble. It was blowing out to the surface and you can see yeah. the, the small bubbles coming down where it was diving down. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like they were further up the lake and they yeah. were trying to get away from me. Or they could have been also, you know, dolphins do this one thing where they will ride the bow of your boat. So, I mean, ah. they, the, the bubbles and everything that the propeller's giving off, that's mm -hmm. another thing where uh, in Lake Okanagan back, I think it was back in the 60s or 70s, I'd have to check exactly, but there was a gentleman, uh, Ed Fletcher, that was out on the boat with his daughter, and she was out swimming, and an Ogopogo was, like, chasing her, <clears throat> and she freaked out, and he pulled her into the boat. And he sped away, and and he claims that he had multiple times where Ogopogo went after his boat, and he oh, wow. attrib he attributed it to he had um, electrolysis built into the boat where it gave out this, I was I think it was like a positive charge to keep because I think it was it had to be a, a saltwater boat at one time because obviously you wouldn't have this on there. But uh, it would keep the barnacles from growing on the side of the boat. So this oh, boat was, okay. that makes sense. was from the, you know, it was stored at the ocean and used on the ocean at one time. So this this thing that he had was putting off this positive electric charge. And he thinks that that attracted the Ogopogo um, and, the and the bubbles from the propeller and stuff like that. So um, they could have been just following the boat i don't know i don't know if they were trying to get away from me or if they were following like the bubbles that my prop was giving off it, it was crazy and um i was just like 
why me? You know, why the hell is this <laughs> happened to me? But I think, I honestly think, and this may sound stupid to some people, I think if you have good intent, things will come to you. Yeah. And yeah. especially with animals. And I, I mean, I have their best interest or else I wouldn't have wrote a protection law for them. So it's, um, it's amazing. It's amazing. The stuff that I've gotten, the echolocation, I got those sonar images. And then last year I got the sonar video, which you put on the coast to coast website as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, yeah. And that one kind of is, I'm looking at that one now. That one's similarly strange. It's sort of like this glowing, it's glowing because of the sonar. It's not, uh, but it's, yeah, it certainly is an odd uh, looking thing. And like, like you said, someone who looks at it, who doesn't know sonar, like, look, I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, that kind of looks just like a fish, but it's like, well, Katie's seen fish. Like, yeah. so Katie would fucking know if it's, <laughs> if it's a well, fish. Well, I don't funny. know shit from sonar. So it's like, oh, looks, <laughs> but, but it's like, well, if Katie says it's, if Katie says it's, uh, this is something unique in there, then I trust the person who's been studying the sonar for years, uh, as opposed to me, who's like, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Is that a fish? <laughs> well, it's, it's crazy, too, because, like, uh, I have a friend of mine in, that lives in Scotland, and he does a lot of fishing. He hand ties flies for, for fishing. Uh, that's pretty much his at-home job that he does, and he yeah. uses sonar constantly for fishing pike and stuff like that. And um, I sent that clip to him, and I said, before I even, like, told anybody about it, I said, Dave, what do you think of this? And he's like, what the hell? Kept playing over and over. And I said, you know, the funny thing is, like, on the Coast to Coast website, the one still shot at the very beginning, it looks like a friggin' sturgeon, right? And I was like, it does look like a sturgeon, man. Like, especially that screenshot. I was like, shit. Sorry, I'm swearing again. Damn it. No, that's right. I'm a sailor. I can do that once in a while, I guess. Um, So, but after that screenshot, if you play the video and you keep pausing it, it stretches out. It changes shape. And I have right. I'm looking shot. at it now. Yeah, yeah. I get the still at shot now. where it looks like that horse-like head again with a very narrow snout. And I'm like, that is just it's because sturgeon do not change shape. I mean, they just stay their own shape. And I think champ can change shape like that for their locomotion. You know, yeah. in the um in the first image that I captured of the two, and then the second one, they're um basically. The one laying on the bottom on the right, he's more kind of like compacted together. But then in the second sonar, that that's a smaller one, of course. The second sonar, you can see where it's like stretched out and it, he's much right. longer than what he appears. So I think that they have that ability to uh, stretch out. I mean, it's kind of like soft-shell turtles. There was one episode with Jeremy Wade. I think he was in Asia somewhere and there was this giant soft-shell turtle and they can get very aggressive. We got soft-shell turtles here in Florida and they can... You got to watch out for them because they look all cool and everything. And if you go to touch one, I mean, this video that they showed on Jeremy Wade's show, the thing lunged at him. And I mean, the net came out like four feet, three, four feet from from where the shell, the soft shell was. Yeah. And it's like they they can they can they're like an accordion pretty much. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at the I'm watching the video. I, I I'm sure you can kind of speak to this in a way, but it, it it's frustrating because the thing swims and it like swims right towards the numbers on the meter so it's i like, know oh it's like i want those numbers because <laughs> you you kind of miss a little bit of whatever you do to it when it goes into the numbers yeah, you, but it's yeah it's you definitely do it. yeah it, it like it it, it looks like it kind of like stretches out and dissipates almost in a weird way yeah, it's really weird and like my second sonar with them under the boat 
the one in the back that's longer, the one I call Elsie, the pause button on the freaking sonar is right in the middle of her. Like the whole, it, it, you see yeah, like yeah. the beginning and then you see the stupid pause button and then, then you see the rest of it just trailing in the back. And I'm like, damn it. Why does this have to happen? <laughs> Yeah, but hey, yeah. at least at least I got the stuff, and I'm so I'm so excited about it. And um, I mean, I, I don't make up crap, as you know. You and I are street shooter right, type right. of people, and yeah. I've got a lot of experience on the water, and I've had all this stuff analyzed, and it's just it's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to next year. I did some research uh, last week up at the lake. I'm still kind of going over hydrophone recordings to see if I captured anything. Because a couple times I took the earbuds out and was kind of shooting the breeze with my research partners and stuff so sometimes you don't always hear when it's happening you hear it very right. faintly and that sort of thing so i got some some stuff some audio to go over which is going to take some time and um hopefully we got something if not i can't complain i really cannot complain uh i've had a lot of luck i've had a lot of luck i mean there's people over a lot nest that haven't gotten anything for 30 years and they're still out right. trying you know and i give yeah, them credit yeah. that they're still trying but, I mean, there's, there's like, you know, there's a couple people out there that say that there's nothing in Loch Ness, but they're still looking. And it's like, well, if you truly believe that there's nothing here, why the hell are you wasting your time? I don't understand that at all. Right, <laughs> I really right. don't get it. Now, talk a little bit. I heard about this a few years ago from uh, uh, Karak St. Laurent. He put out a, I think he put out a documentary on this, uh, this the Baudet film. And you mentioned it earlier. And it's like, when I when he told me this story, I was like, I what is this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. So t uh, tell us a little bit about the the mysterious Bodet film because it's like it's tantalizing and also maddening in a way. Well, the gentleman that got that video and it was of a couple of champs next to his boat. Um, he captured that I think it was 2009, and um, it was on ABC News and Good Morning America and all of that stuff. And uh, they only featured just a tiny bit of the video footage. Yeah. And um, he was very protective of that. He's a fisherman. He fished the lake his whole life. And his stepfather, Dick Folter, he did as well. And um, what they got on the video, from what I could see on the ABC News Club, I've never seen the whole video. Uh, Dennis right. Hall. That's part of the, that's part of the yeah. crazy story of the Bodette. Yeah. Bodette. Yeah. Dennis Hall, my research partner at the time in 2014, he had went to Bodette's house and seen the whole video. Um, there was another gentleman that I knew, oh, Gary, wow. Bur Gary Burton. He also saw the video. Uh, there's people that have claimed they've seen the video and they say it's a long neck turtle. And I really don't know if it's true or not that they saw the whole video, but maybe that's what they interpreted it to look like, which I mean, they could be something like that without a shell. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're like I said, right. they're not in our known fossil record in my opinion. Um, but yeah, the Baudet footage is really interesting because supposedly, um, he wants, to, he basically got it at his lawyer's office and nobody can view it unless they pay a certain sum of money and that sort of thing. And, um, it's kind of crazy and it's kind of sad in a way because it's been sitting in limbo for God, like 15 plus years. So it's like, damn, you know, I would like to see the whole thing, but to me, it's not really important because it's the stills from the ABC news clip are the same freaking animal I've got on the sonar. So it's like, Hey, right, right. you know, I mean, it's cool. It would be cool to see the whole thing, but in a way I kind of understand the guy's perspective because I think honestly, deep down, I think he might be protective of what they are and he doesn't want anybody to harm them. I don't know. Yeah. There's something funny about it. 
Yeah, it's very mysterious. My understanding is like it's in the he it's in the hands of like his attorney, and if you like it, it, it it's it's I think it's kind of like for sale, but you have to come with like a million bucks or whatever. To, yeah. Get your hands on the the Bodette film. Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny because I don't think he's really about the money because he's pretty wealthy from. I know his cousin. I'm friends right. with his cousin, and he's definitely well off from what I've heard. And yeah. um, this the funny part was I was launching my boat last year at a different boat launch, and I had never met Pete. And um, I was putting my boat in, and this guy comes up and he's putting his, he's going to put his boat and he's waiting for us. And actually, no, he was before us. That's right, he was before us. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, geez, that looks like Pete Bodette, because I've seen him on the news. I mean, it looked like him, yeah. but he looks a little heavier in the face. And um, I was like, man, if that's him, I really want to talk to him quick. But I just, I wasn't sure. I didn't want to say, hey, are you Pete Bodette? And, like, guy would be like, what the hell? So, <laughs> anyway, he's backing his boat out, and his friend's on the dock. He's like, all right, Pete, I'll see you later. I'm like, damn it, damn it, it was Pete. And I guess he lives in that area from what my, my friend was telling me, who actually also had a champ sighting. I don't know if it runs in families, but it's kind of funny because he had a champ sighting as well um, a while back. So, yeah, I was so disappointed that I didn't get to speak to him. And he's very hesitant to speak to anybody. And I bet he's been harassed like crazy by people. So I yeah. can't blame can't blame the guy. Um, but, yeah, the uh, documentary that Karak did, um, I did see that. There, there was some interesting things in it, but there also was a lot of elaboration on things that were not true, which kind of is upsetting because what I try to do with my research is present the facts, the yeah. factual reports of Champ. And um, there was something on there that mentioned that these tracks were found at Kingsland Bay. No, they were found not even really near Kingsland Bay. He just kind of put that out. I don't know why he put that was the location. I have no idea because I, I knew about these tracks and I did yeah. tell him about the tracks, but they were not found at Kingsland Bay. Um, and then the other thing was really funny too, was he showed like a photo of these prints and he said, this is the photo of the prints. And it's like the photo of the print. There was a photo taken by Richard Duell. And he, he's, I think he lives, I don't know where he lives now, Pennsylvania, I'm not sure, but he doesn't talk about Champ anymore. He did a little bit of research with Dennis Hall back in the early 90s. And he had yeah. gotten a photo, but he ended up losing it or, or something happened to it. I don't know if it got damaged by water. I forget what the story was. But yeah. the, the photo was not accessible. So I went, I'm like, well, where the hell did he get this photo? Maybe some miraculous thing. He got it from somebody I didn't know. So I went on Tin Eye, which is a reverse image search, and I put yeah. in the image, and it came from a stock photo from Snapping Turtle Tracks. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, for crying out loud, that sucks. So, like, it yeah. kind of made me sad because it's like, you know, I'm not trying to down anybody. I think he did – it was a cool idea that he did, and it was a great concept and everything, and I give him credit for putting out something cool, but – don't misinform people and lie about stuff. Right, I, it's right. so important to me to present the factual stuff. And I'm not trying to knock anybody down, but it kind of made me sad because it's defeating the point of what I'm trying to do with bringing the true, the true thing behind champ to the public. Yeah. They're not yeah, this hundred absolutely. foot. They're not this hundred foot long monster. They don't freaking eat people. I mean, if they ate people, we'd have missing people around Lake Champlain right, all the right, time. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just so many, so many things that in some of these documentaries that have been elaborated and lied about, and yeah. 
it just that's what makes the whole thing seem like a damn joke. There's this hundred there's these hundred right, foot, right. there's there's one champ that survived a millennia that's a hundred plus feet long. Are you kidding <laughs> me? It's impossible. How many, <laughs> how many champ how many creatures do you think are are in there? I think you've said before that you think they kind of travel in pairs. So what but how many hey. you know, I assume that there must be a breeding population then if uh if, if they've survived this long. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, with my sonar images, I got a, a pair. <clears throat> and um, so if you mul- this is my guess anyway. I'm not sure because, I mean, I have no freaking yeah. idea. But uh, with a 120-mile-long lake and as deep as it is in, in some places, um, I would say, and, and this is according to scientists as well, there has to be at least 30 to 60 breeding pairs to sustain a population. Okay. But, which it sounds like a ton, but, I mean, if you ever flown over Lake Champlain, you look down, it's not. If you had 30 yeah. breeding pairs, you're talking 60 individuals in Lake Champlain. I mean, it's just, uh... Yeah, you said it's like 120 miles long. Yeah, so exactly. That, that would and, be like enough, that would be like two miles worth for each pair or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and, so. and the other thing that's interesting, I mean, they're 15 to 30 feet at the maximum. Thirty, I think 30, 35 is the maximum that I have heard in one individual. But if you have one behind the other, like moving in pairs, that's going to seem like a hundred foot long creature that you're looking at. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in the lake itself, I mean, I would say there's probably about, I'd say about 60 of them. I mean, there could be more. I have no idea. But the one thing that's interesting about reptiles is that, for an example, the Komodo dragon. There's a case of a Komodo dragon that was in, in a zoo. I'm trying to remember where the zoo was. But she actually gave birth without having a mate. It's, oh, wow. it's par- parthenogenesis, it's called, asexual. Oh. So they don't need a, a mate to reproduce. So this Komodo dragon was never around a male whatsoever. And she she had <laughs> she gave birth to, to Komodo dragons. So it's like... That could be something that the champ animals can do. They could they could be asexual and produce themselves without a mate. I don't know, but that was yeah. a really interesting thing to see from an ancient reptile that that is something that is definitely possible. Now, would you take me sort of on a hypothetical expedition? Like, how first of all, how, ballpark? I know I kind of hit you with one of these before, but how often would you say you've gone out looking? for champ on on your boat and and sort of take me through what do you do when you go out there do you go to a certain spot where you think they're they frequent and you kind of wait like akin to fishing or do you sort of trawl around a general area like what's the process like when you're searching for champ and how often would you say what's your what's your ballpark on like how many times you've gone out looking for this thing okay so okay on land like just watching from land which Okay, yeah. Seems boring as hell, which it is when you're waiting and you don't see crap. It's like, oh, God, it's like watching paint dry. I always say watching right, for a chance right. is like watching paint dry until something happens. And then you're like, oh, my God. And, and um, yeah, I mean, just first of all, I, I started from on shore because I didn't have a boat at first. And yeah. a high vantage point is, is very important because if you're if you're level with the water, it's really hard to see things at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a lot of atm- atmospheric haze, uh, especially in the summertime when it's champ season uh, from June until September. So, I mean, April is when they start to come out and then sightings start to come in sometimes. And I think that's when the turtles and the frogs, the ectotherms are starting to come out with the water temperature rising. So when it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit, 
that's when these animals start to come out. But they start getting really active uh, around June, uh, June through sep- the end of September. And then October hits, and it seems like the sighting just totally plummet down. Wintertime, wintertime there's been a couple of strange sightings. One was by D. Carroll in Westport. Uh, she owns a marina over there. I know the family. She had a sighting in the beginning of December, which is really strange. <clears throat> oh, wow. I think it was 1980. And then there was another report in Port Henry of one on the ice, which is really weird. Wow. Um, there are snapping turtles. Uh, I have it in my book as well, a picture of a snapping turtle on the ice, which is a freak thing because they're supposed to be hibernating. But right, scientists right. have figured out that turtles actually go into a torpor-like state where they just slow down, they're not eating, and they do move underneath the ice. So it uh, doesn't mean they're completely completely hibernating underneath yeah, the ice yeah. they could still be moving around um but but yeah uh sitting on shore high vantage point binoculars a really good camera and have it on a tripod please because i i'm telling <laughs> you like my 2014 video we didn't have a damn tripod and and dennis is holding the camera i'm like hold the damn thing still and i cut out all the parts of a swearing because I'm like, I'm like, turn on the camera. And he's like, it's on, it's on. I can't get on. And he's swearing away. And the clip um, that was featured on a lot of programs on Discovery and History Channel and stuff, uh, those parts were cut out. But it actually adds to the authenticity. So I got to find yeah, the original, yeah. the original tape where the swearing's on it and post. <laughs> um, but so starting out from shore and stuff, high vantage point binoculars, a good camera. Mine's uh, 85 zoom, so it zooms. I mean, I can get craters on the moon. It's amazing. Oh, wow. Um, and so with a boat, the first thing that I do is I do a checklist of my equipment, make sure I have plenty of batteries, plenty of SD cards. Uh, I have to unload all of those because I have game cameras set up as well out in the swamps. And um, just just a checklist. And the first thing that I do is go to a lot of the sighting locations where these animals have been seen. And I try to go around the same times that they've been seen. Like I was talking about earlier with seeing deer out in a field at the same time and um, and just going in those areas where they've been seen at certain times. So I try to go around the same time frame during the daytime. Um, and the first thing that I do is sit. I just anchor the boat and I sit and I throw my hydrophone in and I listen first. Uh, I don't do anything invasive or anything like that. Uh, yeah. I do keep the sonar running now because they have that live military grade sonar that does video. Mm-hmm. So just in case something happens to pass underneath the boat and when the hydrophone's on, you can hear that ticking, but it's mm-hmm. not going to interfere with any echolocation or vocalizations that are coming through because it's not that loud. Right. It's just a light ticking sound. So first things, just listening with the hydrophone. Uh, then I get my ROV out and get get it down in the water, which is connected to my iPhone, and take video of and see if there's anything down there. I mean, on the sonar, you're going to see if there is. And if there is something, that's when I would definitely send the ROV down. <clears throat> I, fortu- right. I mean, unfortunately, I haven't gotten anything sitting on the boat yet. That would be really cool. But that's a, yeah. that's a hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Um and just uh, basically trolling along and doing a grid search. We we have a certain pattern that we do in, in these locations where there have been sightings. I have a certain zigzag pattern that I do with the sonar because the beam, the beam of the sonar only goes so far. So I basically do this whole area where they've been seeing a lot of the rock ledges. And I do a certain grid pattern. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, it's 
it's just a lot of running around and just yeah. trying to as with the sonar. I mean, with the hydrophone, I go to certain points and I just listen. And that's that's probably the easiest part is the listening, but it gets extremely boring as well because it's yeah. like, what the heck? The sonar is always you have to keep your not your eye on the sonar. And now I have it where it's video and it connects to my phone, so it's recording the whole time. Unlike oh, nice. the first time in 2019 where I had to be really quick with my hands and, and do the snapshots of when I yeah, see something yeah. weird on that little tiny screen that I didn't know what the hell was go what it was until I got it home. And okay. Right. It's, a school of, it's a school of fish. It's a shipwreck. It's a bunch of logs on the bottom. Um, so the technology definitely has helped. And it, I'm so glad that I got that, that the military grade sonar because I wouldn't have gotten that video last year. Yeah. I, I would have gotten just a still shot thing and it would have been, I mean, I probably wouldn't even have caught it because it was so quick. Right, right. It was yeah. extremely fast. So all told, between the ground search and the shore searches and the boats, you you probably looked for this thing like hundreds of times, right? Absolutely. I mean, I can't even tell you how many damn hours I put into this. And it's just, <laughs> I mean, I, I would, honestly, I would get really really exhausted i mean it's exhausting work and everybody's like oh i'm so jealous of you. i'm like what the hell are you jealous about you have no idea yeah how much how much like physical work i mean i just filmed with a japanese crew that um some of them came all the way from tokyo and it was the last it was the biggest last minute thing i've ever ever done it was like i was going up to the lake i already had my plane tickets booked and i'm like i get this phone call oh we're this crew and they have like a base in New York City and stuff, and then they have these guys coming from Tokyo. Well, we we were going up to Lake Champlain in three days, and we want we wanted to know if you could be on our show. You're the champ expert and all this stuff. And I'm like, what the hell? And they saw my phone <laughs> and stuff, and I'm like, oh my god. And I said, well, first they said, well, maybe we could film in November, and I'm like, you can't film in November. It's too damn right. nasty out. <clears throat> and and they wanted to like rent a boat and stuff, and. I'm like, uh, good luck with that in November. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And so they're like, well, we're going to be going up this week. If you can't do in November, will you be able to come up? I said, well, that's really strange because I actually have my ticket booked in a few days. And that was just, it was crazy. It was like fate. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. So, so I ended up going up and I worked with them and it was fun. It was a lot of work though, because they, you know, constantly, hey, do this over again. Uh, set up your hydrophone, and yeah, we're gonna get yeah, it from yeah. we're gonna get it from this angle. And okay, they made me walk one of my my friends, Scott Thurber, who got the um the recent sonar image on yes. his Garmin. Uh, we went out on his boat to do this whole thing, and he got video. I, I can't show it yet because they said that I can't show a lot of stuff until after it airs in Japan. Yeah. But I had to walk down this parking lot with my equipment and they're getting b-roll and i'm like oh my god i had to do it like five six times i'm like i got my car <laughs> i got my cardio in today that's a good thing <laughs> and he took he took a a video of it and and the song that he put to it was one of my funny songs that i love uh, the when it goes dun, 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 and the drunken sailor i don't know if you ever heard it <laughs> <laughs> i think i, I know like, that one yeah like scott you're a trip he's a riot so uh, we got a good laugh and we had a, him and I had a good laugh and a good time. And uh, it was fun. I mean, we, we went out to the location where he got the sonar and I, it was interesting to go to this spot because there's a lot of drop offs and there's tons of bait fish. And now I can understand why, you know, that area is so, so great for, I mean, that's 
<laughs> it's just it, it fits into where I got my sonar as well. These yeah. drop-offs and, <clears throat> and these certain places where these fish congregate is where they like to feed. So when yeah, he yeah. brought me to the spot, it totally made sense. And I said, wow, man, like this is cool because I'd never been up to that part of the lake oh, to, okay. to, yeah. to do research. I mean, I've been by it and I've been on the shore and stuff, but I've never been on a boat in that exact area. And so it was a new thing for me. And it was really great to um, see where another friend of mine had a sighting that I'll be featuring on my documentary that I hope to be getting out the beginning of next year, Lady of the Lake, The Search for Champs. So I've been working yeah. on that. But um, she had her sighting around the same area of Cumberland Head, New York, uh, near in Plattsburgh. Okay. So it was really interesting to see the same area where she had her sighting and uh, actually get a an idea of the bathy metric, which is the bottom, the structure of the bottom of the lake in that area. So wow. it was cool. It was a really neat uh, learning curve and seeing a different area of the lake on a boat and uh, listening to Scott's fishing places that he goes and, and catches a lot of large lake trout and stuff like that. It, it was really, really fun. And we had a good time and it's always fun. I had a good time working with the Japanese. This is the third time that I worked with a Japanese crew. Oh, wow. So they're really into champ uh, lake monsters. Uh, I mean, they came out with Godzilla for crying out loud. So yeah, they, yeah, they have a, yeah, there's a definitely an interest in that. Um, yeah, on a, there's a there's one, not Japan per se, but there's uh, there's one a famous one in China that there was just a recent uh, video of that came out um, like uh, like last week or a couple of weeks ago that we covered at the coast site. So I don't know if I saw that. I might have seen. I'll send it, it was, to you after uh, the show. Yeah. Well, you know, it probably was I was out on the damn lake doing my research, so I didn't get to see it. <laughs> That's probably what was going on. Yeah. No, that would be great. I'd love to check it out. Send me the link when you can, if you could. Yeah, after we after we get off the air, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely send it to you. Now, is I guess you you've, you've done all this searching. We're kind of winding it down now. So we you've done all this searching, and you've got the the fantastic sonar and your friend Scott. That sonar from earlier this year was really something. Yeah. Wild. It was re- tremendous. Uh, just mind-bogglingly, like like it looks. And folks, we'll we'll put the link in for that one too. But. Uh, the sonar that Scott caught was, it looks like the Loch Ness Monster. Like, it is, it is like, wow, this is like, uh, like some kind of, some kind of Nessie-like creature. So, um, I guess what would, show? is there any way to, like, prove the existence of this creature once and for all besides capturing one? And why mm-hmm. do you think one hasn't been captured at this point? I think with them being a primordial species, they've, they've had to avoid humans for years. I mean, the Native Americans, they, they could have, I mean, I'm not sure because I wasn't around back then, but there was times in the 1800s where they were getting shot at. There was a right. general named General Barrett that shot at one and, and uh, there was blood in the water. Like this is an account uh, that I read in, in some of the history books. Yeah. I think with, with that, it it's developed a fear in them, uh, mm-hmm. primordial fear. Uh, it's just something that's built into their, their being. I don't know. And uh, right, rightfully right. so, rightfully so. I mean, what the hell? I mean, you got people shooting at you and, yeah, exactly. and all that stuff. So, <clears throat> I mean, they're definitely elusive, but I'm just like so fortunate that I've gotten what I've gotten. And I, and it's weird because like I said, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like somebody knows somebody God or whatever knows that I have good intent. And I think that, and and I also work my butt off at this stuff. So I I think that's, 
the biggest reason. I mean, I'm always out there looking and, and doing all the stuff. Um, there's just like this primordial fear that they have of humans. And I, and I think that's why, I mean, just through the 1800s of people trying to catch them or shoot them or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That makes so, sense. I mean, I really don't have all the answers for that. Right. No, they're, exactly. They're, definitely, yeah. they're highly intelligent. That's for sure. Because animals that can echolocate have a high, high brain capacity. And they obviously yeah. are really smart because they avoided humans for this long. Right, exactly, yeah. Except yeah. for me, except for me. And, and, <laughs> so they must like me. That's that's one thing I always joke about. They're like, oh, our mom's here. Hey, mom. Okay, see you later. <laughs> we, show, we showed you enough. <laughs> now, is there uh, is there any sort of like, you're the champ expert. Is there any kind of like, you talked a little bit sort of, of like the drama in a way of, of this kind of the scene in a way. But is there any rivalry of sorts between the Nessie contingent of people, researchers or whatever, and the champ contingent. Do they just, cause I feel like, uh, you know, I imagine kind of maybe the Nessie people don't like the competition in a way of, of the American, of, it's called the American Loch Ness monster. So it's like, it, it, maybe yeah. there's a, maybe there's sort of like a little brother sort of aspect to the, <laughs> to the, to the champ side of things where it's like, Hey man, we our monsters just as cool as yours. And we got, Whatever. So is there any sort of rivalry between the two sides or is it kind of like everybody gets along as best they can where it's like, look, we're all looking for lake monsters just in different places. There's, there's a little bit, a little bit of that going on. Um, I mean, it's all, like I said, it was because of that one person that started all this crap with, with the drama thing and in, in the yeah. world, unfortunately. But <clears throat> um, that person was friends with some people over at Loch Ness. And um, there's one one researcher that doesn't believe in Nessie at all, which is kind of it's like, why do you still do this then? Yeah. But uh, he's a major, major skeptic. And he he just like he picks his straws. Like he said, the Baudet film was uh, totally fake. They had a crane suspended in the air. And they, I'm like, where what? did this guy come up with these ideas? Like that video was taken near the mouth of the Osable River. I mean, it's not like he was at a dock and like had a crane on the side on the dock. Yeah, I don't know where it, just crazy. I don't know. <laughs> and then the other theory that he had with the Mansi photo <clears throat> was that the background, there's a, well, it looks like a tree to me, but he said there's like a, a farm, like a silo. At, like, there's farms all around Lake Champlain. So that's, oh, well, there's a silo. So it's at this location. And I'm thinking to myself, crying out loud, there's farms everywhere around Lake Champlain. So that's not telling you the location and the location to me is not important because there's a population. They're all over the damn lake. So it doesn't really matter where the damn photo was taken. So, I mean, there's, there is a little bit of uh strangeness, like with, you know, one of the researchers that did something at the big expedition, he had reached out to me some time back about the hydrophone work and asking me some stuff about that. And then I kind of gave him my input and stuff. And then, all of a sudden he blocked me and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Oh, so there's, there's, and I never said anything bad or it was very strange. So yeah, I don't know. There's a little bit of weirdness, I think, because champ is becoming really popular now yeah, because of the sonar and, and the video and all the stuff that I gathered. And then what Scott got on his sonar of, up in Plattsburgh. And um, I do think that they find a little bit of a threat with that, which kind of sucks because, I'd be, hell, if anything happens over at Loch Ness, I'm excited. I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. Like, 
we can compare data together and stuff. It's like I said, it's all about right. working together. It shouldn't be that way. But but you got to remember one thing: the cottage industry at Loch Ness is Nessie. If it yeah. wasn't for Nessie, they wouldn't even have a good economy over there. Probably. I mean, what else? You know, it would just be like anywhere else in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I read a I read an article that it was like a huge tourist driver, like millions and millions of uh, pounds of uh, and the thing and the thing. Well, the thing, and the, uh, and the just to jump, let me just jump on, just jump in here. Um, and the interesting part is when you contrast the two monsters per se, it's like there's a lot of interesting stuff going on right now with Champ with what you're doing, um, and also sort of like there's this, um, like what's going on in Port Henry. They're really embracing Champ big time. They have the Champ Festival. It's kind of like okay, now Champ's kind of coming into his own lately. Um, and over in Loch Ness, it's kind of like a little bit, uh, it's kind of old in a way. It's a little bit dusty. And I think like no one, there's not too many people left who kind of believe that it's like a unique creature. It seems like every every time I kind of read about Nessie, it's like everyone kind of just thinks it's a giant eel and the environmental DNA study kind of like, you know, hurt the reputation, if you will, of Nessie, where it's like, okay, well, they did the environmental, they, for folks who don't know, they did an environmental DNA study where they, took samples out of the water and pulled all the d- different DNA found in the water and they didn't find anything super that could, ac- that could account for what we would imagine the Loch Ness Monster would be, except like a shitload of eels. And it was like, well, it's probably like a really big eel. And, and that was kind of a longstanding theory about uh, the Loch Ness Monster in a way too. So it's kind of like the case will never be closed on the Loch Ness Monster unless like somehow the whole place gets uh, drained, right? But it seems like it seems like the case is a lot closer to being closed than over at Lake Champlain, where it's like there's still quite a lot of mystery surrounding what might be Champ. Well, what's interesting was I <clears throat> I work for one TV show on the CW network called Mysteries Decoded, and we did do an eDNA study. Oh, okay. um, uh, it was interesting, but it. Eh, I think they kind of went the cheap route, to be honest with you, because <laughs> what had happened was the filming was during COVID. So everything had yeah, screwed yeah. up with the lab that they were supposed to send it to. So we had taken some samples and we couldn't get out to certain locations that I wanted to to get some of the water samples. We only took like, I think it was like three. So it wasn't yeah, very yeah. many in a 120 mile long lake. So right exactly. there, that's, I was, that's a problem. I was going to ask you about the uh, the environmental DNA aspect of things, and it was that was kind of part of it where it's like the thing the, the body of the Lake Champlain is so huge that it's particularly difficult, I would imagine, to even try to do a comprehensive study like they did at Loch Ness. Yeah. Um, but so you did you gave it a shot in a way you did kind of like a like a, a test run, if you will. Is what you're yeah. Saying. So we did that. And the only the bad part was because of covid, the, the lab that they were going to send it to, nobody was working. So they ended up sending it to another lab and um, the results that came back were kind of interesting only because the, there was a huge amount of muscalunge DNA, which muskies are endangered in Lake Champlain. So that was actually a really nice thing to hear that because there are, there's tons of sewage flowing into Lake Champlain every year. That's another story for another day. So that, you know, that I was very happy to hear that the muskie population is up uh, they didn't find any sturgeon DNA. They didn't find any beaver DNA. They didn't find any waterfowl DNA. 
So this is kind of the same thing that's happened at Loch Ness too. There are known animals in Loch Ness, like waterfowl and stuff like that, that they never picked up on in the DNA test at Loch Ness. Ah, so there's, I think what's going to happen, and I hope this is the case, that the eDNA testing will get better. But if we're dealing yeah. with an unknown species that's not in our fossil record, the best thing I think in Champlain or maybe even Loch Ness, because there are a lot of similarities morphologically with Nessie and Champ, is that the best thing I think we're going to get so far is unknown reptile or unknown amphibian or something of that nature. Yeah. But um, unless we find a dead body, which I don't think is ever going to happen, because, <laughs> right. I mean, we would have probably found something by now. Um, or if we find a fossil of one, if there's a way to extract the fossil of, I mean, the, the DNA from a fossil and compare yeah. it to something in the water, that we're getting in the eDNA testing, uh, that would be total proof right there. But yeah, uh, yeah. finding a tooth, a fossil of a, of a tooth or something, um, or bones, whatever, that, that's really the only way I think we're going to prove this. But I think with the echolocation, the sonar, the video, and the eDNA, I don't think it's going to be just one DNA test that's going to prove that CHAMP exists. I think it's going to be yeah. a whole a bunch of factors like i yeah, said yeah yeah um of finding you know fossil evidence or something to extract dna from to uh, compare to what's in the water because like i said i don't think we're dealing with an animal that is in our known fossil record so there's nothing to compare them to i mean you exactly. might have you know unknown reptile or unknown amphibian or something like that which is pretty amazing but someone could say hey there's another species of turtle that's in the lake we don't know about so you know, right, it's, a, right, it's a tough right. one. It's a tough one. It's, I yeah, like... with a subject like this, you're always going to run into people that just just don't believe in anything. Like, they, you know, they're, like you were saying, they're just going to kind of come up with the craziest ways to explain stuff. And it's like, yeah. what? I mean, the, the explanation that you came up with is uh, skeptic person is like less plausible than <laughs> the possibility that there's this unknown animal in there. You know, it's like at some point, uh, Occam's razor turns against them in a sense, so it's it's an interesting conundrum, if you will. I mean, now I think I think the the next steps for my research is yeah to try to get a head and neck video, which would be amazing. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing would be an underwater video of of these animals. That would be amazing. I mean, the yeah. thing with video, though, as you know, it's like in the Bigfoot world, people fake crap. I mean, I would have it analyzed by everything I could for the authenticity and all that stuff and all the tests and everything. So I would definitely do that, of course. But um, getting those videos would be amazing. And also something with unknown reptile or whatever in, in the eDNA. And I think if you combine those together, those are the last, to me, those are the last right. steps in improving what's in Lake, in Lake Champlain. So it's, um, I, I mean, you think about it with all the stuff that I've gotten, that's really not that much more to go if you think about it. Because, I mean... There's, like I said, at Loch Ness, there's been people doing this for 30 plus years and haven't gotten the right, damn right. thing. And it's like, how the hell did I do this? <laughs> how did I do it? Exactly. But it's, exactly. It's, it's determination and it's uh, just getting out there and just doing it and working hard. And I think if you work hard with anything that you do and you put your heart into it, I put my heart into this wholeheartedly and it's just, it's my passion. Yeah. It's what I love. And I think if you do that in life, you're, you're going to get some great things ahead for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and to sort of wrap it up, I guess what I would say to folks listening is, I mean, I personally, I have, have, have been increasingly impressed 
by your progress. Uh, you know, it's like in 2019 you got the so- sonar photo. It's like the stuff keeps getting kind of better and better. What you're what you're coming up with, um, and so it's like I think, and, and you're not slowing down. You're not stopping or anything. You're even more dedicated. Obviously, people can tell uh, how passionate you are about about searching for this this creature. And it's like if anyone's gonna get to the bottom of this, it's gonna be Katie Elizabeth because she is actively going after this thing, and her the results of her searches are getting better and better uh, over time. Now it takes patience, folks. You know, it's like 2019, another one uh, a little bit later after that, 2021. Her friend Scott had the sonar uh, recently uh, earlier this year, so it's like. We might be talking like every couple of years, but it just keeps getting better and better. And next thing you know, uh, you know, I, I, I wake up every day looking at the paranormal news. That's my job. And it's like, I, I wouldn't be surprised one day to hear from you and be like, look, we got this insane picture. You have to see this. So it's like <laughs> um, anybody else, I'd be like, all right, you know, but with you, I'm always just like, all right, well, Katie's going to come up with something, um, you know, at any moment here because she's searching for this thing all the time. So uh, that's that's why I want to get you on the show. It's why I want to talk about Champ with you. Um, as I said, I have just such enormous respect for your dedication to this, the time you put into this, the money you put into this. Um, there are so many people, and they're not bad people. Don't get me wrong, folks. But there are so many people who just sit and, and kind of pontificate. Well, Katie's out there on on the hunt for champ and and um you know we need more folks like her but it's a very very tough gig so i understand why there aren't that many people out there doing this but but katie is doing it and um like i said i just have i have have so much respect for you uh for all the work you've put into this and and your dedication to this and your passion um you know for for this for this mystery i really appreciate the kind words i really do and it's um it's one of those things where, you know, when you work so hard and, and um, I, I meet s- such great people like yourself and, and I really, I know that you're fantastic at, at working for coast to coast and doing their articles. And I'm always impressed by all the articles that you put out. So I'm impressed with your work as well. And, oh, and I, and I love how you're a straight shooter too. And, and I think that's why we, we get along. So well. I think we're just kindred souls. So I think, I think so. it's I been think great. So. It's been great. And um, I really do think that uh, the future is definitely promising. And with the new ROV that I just obtained, I have a drone that's completely waterproof that I can get underwater video with as well, land it in the water and, I can oh, wow. even I can even bring my hydrophone out to locations without the boat and just it has a payload claw on it where I can drop the hydrophone cord down oh, and man, and record. Awesome. So I've got some really great technology that I that I've just purchased and um yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to using the new technology and I, I really think in the next few years we're gonna really get something awesome. And then it's really yeah. like I said, it's just gonna add to that uh that puzzle that I've been piecing together and and like what Scott got on his sonar and, and the other the other reports as well. So I mean I, I really think that eventually this is really gonna come to light. I mean, I hope it's it's total proof. I mean, that's the thing that because of the protection aspect. It's not yeah. like, hey, I want to be this famous person because I prove champ. I want people to be aware that there are species out there that are yet to be discovered that really are reality. I mean, the Native Americans didn't pull this stuff out of their behind. They were yeah. seeing animal. I mean, the Celts even talk about the water horses and the Kelpies. Then you have um, 
even in Italy, they talk about the hippocampus, which is the scientific name for seahorse. But the hippocampus was basically a serpent. And then you have the Vikings that, that in the front of their ships, they had the, the water horse in the front of their ships. And these people yeah. didn't even see, they didn't even know each other. So right, they were right. seeing real animals and uh, the protection aspect to get nationwide, like a huge protection law for these animals. And um, that's my biggest goal, the, the protection aspect, because to me, they're the last of their kind. You know, you've got Ness, the Nessies, you get the champs, Yoga Pogos. There's certain lakes. I mean, there's tons of lake that, lakes that have reports of creatures. Whether all of them have something that's like champ, I don't know. But I'm actually going to Loch Ness in June to do some oh, research. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm going to be going to Loch Marar, which is uh, con- indirectly connected to the sea. Uh, by by uh, the river Marar. So that's a very, very interesting lake. And it's very deep. I think it goes down to 949 feet. Oh, wow. And it's about 10 miles long. So it's not as definitely not as like a pond compared to Lake Champlain, but not in the depth. Yeah. yeah, So um, I I think that's going to be promising because Loch Marar is very, very clear. Lake uh, Loch Ness is not. It's the peak content is terrible in Loch Ness and you can't see a damn thing. It's, it's like, yeah, tea. yeah, yeah. It's like tea. So Loch Marar is very clear and I have the new ROV and I, I'm looking forward to trying the hydrophone work and see if I get something similar to what I've gotten in Lake Champlain. And if I did get it at Loch Ness or Loch Marar, that would indicate if it's similar sounds that we're dealing with the same species or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm looking forward to that trip and, I'm going to be going with my friends from the Center of Force Tian Zoology. They're based in the UK. Oh, yeah, um, I know them, yeah. Yeah, the CFZ. And um, I'm actually the USA administrator for the CFZ. So it's going to be fun. Oh, it's awesome. going to be a cool trip. Uh, there was a couple of people that wanted to go on, like, a whole tour of, like, all these haunted towns. I'm like, listen, I don't have time for that stuff. <laughs> I'm going. I got my equipment. It's going to cost me a crap load of money to bring my equipment. She's looking for I'm, lake monsters. Who yeah. has time for ghosts? So I had to kind of set them guys straight. I'm like, listen, as much as I love to do that, we got to stick to our guns and stick to the plan with the protocol at Ness and Marar. So they're like, okay, I guess we could do a tour thing another time. So, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. They're a who I I love them all. They're always very respectful, very respectful to me. And um, I just, I love working with them. So it's going to be a good trip and I hope to produce some results. Excellent. All right. So, on that note, let's just plug the stuff and we'll and we'll say good night tonight. Um, now the book is Water Horse. Did you say it? I, 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 we've talked so long. I, I remember something <laughs> about Amazon. Was there? Yeah, is it available on Amazon? The book? Yeah. Still, the the, the okay. e the ebook is on okay, Amazon. That was, it. that was it. Yep. And it's Water Horse of Lake Champlain: The Search. That's the newest one. There you go. And you got a documentary you're hoping to come out next uh the start of the year roughly, right? Yeah, I'm thinking like probably February of 2024. Okay. It's uh Lady of the Lake the Search for Champ. Excellent. And it was really great because I entered the trailer for it in the 14 Film Festival that was held in the UK and I got four four gold awards for the trailer. So Oh wow. I'm really excited. I'm starting to do some filmmaking stuff and I just did a, I did a commercial for David Sheely, the skunk ape guy. uh, And it was for his skunk ape research headquarters, lager, his beer. So we did a really fun commercial for that. That's on YouTube. And um, I entered that in the 14 film festival for this year. So we'll see what happens. There you go. There you (laughs) go. 
And folks can find out more uh, from you at, we'll start with the website, katieelizabeth.org, and that's spelled K-A-T-Y Elizabeth.org. And then most people are over on Facebook. If you want to keep up with what Katie's doing in her search for champ, you're in luck. You just punch in champ search into Facebook, as well as International Dracontology Alliance. And that's D-R-A-C-O-N-T-O-L-O-G-Y, International Dracontology Alliance. Those two groups, if, if, if anything happens with the search for champ, you're going to find out about it on those groups. Um, so join those and, and, and stay on top of this, this search that, uh, the Katie, I don't think she's going to be giving up anytime soon folks. So, and as I said earlier, <laughs> and as she, uh, suggested, she's putting in the hours. She's got so much dedication towards this. Her results keep getting better. The technology is getting better. And it's like, you can feel like there's this confluence there's this something happening here and it's exciting and uh, you know, you're going to want to follow Katie and you're going to want to follow her research. And uh, I give her the banal stamp of approval, as I said, cause she's a straight shooter just like me and she doesn't suffer fools in this, uh, in this field where there you can't, you can't turn around without stumbling over a fool in this field. So uh, <laughs> it's a tough time to, it's a tough place to hang around, but, but she does it and I do it and uh, we do it because we love the weirdness. We love the weirdness and we love the mysteries uh, of, of the paranormal and the cryptozoological and all that stuff. So all that said, Katie, I cannot thank you enough. This was awesome. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure as, as always speaking with you. And um, yeah, I mean, I was a little raw tonight than I normally am. I always try to keep it like really, really simple and, and everything. But like I said, as far as like, the drama stuff i thought it was important to point out uh that it's it does happen and people yeah. that go through it they're not alone so i mean yeah. i don't care i get a laugh out of it now and i just keep going and that's 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 my drive actually that's part of my drive too it's like hey you know what if someone's gonna act like that i'm gonna i'm gonna prove them wrong and i have so that's the there most important thing you just gotta keep on pushing exactly all right <laughs> thanks a lot all right thank you so much